to everyone this afternoon. Um, a few new faces around. Um, if I haven't met you before or said hello, I'm Mark, and it's uh, great to see a nice full hall and lots of people uh, looking like they're enjoying themselves. And uh, just today, um, we're going to look at some thoughts from the Word of God as we as we like to do, because um, we believe God always has something important for us that He wants to encourage us in from the Scriptures and. Um, Today, uh, to give a bit of a theme, I suppose, and a thought, I want to talk about um, the battle uh, of our heart. And I'm happy to change that to the battle of your heart or the battle of my heart. Um, it's not a romantic talk. Um, if you want a romantic talk, you probably have to see Pastor David. He, uh, I'm sure he's got something from the Song of Solomon that he can pull out. And, um, and so, yeah, maybe chase him up on that one afterwards. Um, but I want to start today by um, having a look in the book of, of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter four. Um, again, we would have, we, or for many people here, this would be um, a well-known scripture. Um, just in verse um, twenty-three, it just says, um, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." and Issues, it actually means out of it is the, is the source of life. And when our physical, or if our physical heart stops, it's not long after it that usually our life stops with it. And I know I'm just taking one verse here, but there's a lot in it. And it's just saying, look after our heart, um, carefully. You might have heard the statement or people sometimes say, hopefully, not about you, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> but you hear it said, is that that person has um, issues or um, maybe, you know, maybe we think, oh, I have issues. And what people are really saying when they say that is that there's, um, there's a problem with the source somewhere. And, you know, maybe one of the hardest, the hardest things that will come on our, on our heart as we're trying to walk with the Lord um, is sometimes the truth. When somebody speaks the truth to us, it can be some of the hardest sayings we'll hear. When someone says something that's not true, it can be hard, but sometimes it's when people speak the truth, um, in whatever way it comes, that it can have the hardest effect on our heart. And while we're walking, and, and, and I'm not sure, maybe there's people here today um, visiting and some of these things are new to you, um, but in maintaining and, and growing a relationship with God, um, We'll talk about how that begins um, in a moment or a little bit later on. But when we're in a relationship with God, there's there's these issues, this issue in our heart, a source. And there's two sources, really. We can grow a source of um, difficulty, a source of things that are in opposition to what God would have for our life, or we can grow and develop um, a source of life within our heart through the Holy Ghost. And... A lot of it depends on what we allow into it. You know, what we allow ourselves to be influenced by. And, um, you know, what we allow ourselves to be influenced by, it eventually, it works into here. And, um, it's not something that ever goes away in our life. No matter, uh, no matter who we are, no matter how long we've walked with God, it's, David came to the realization that, um, our heart, we've got to guard it. We've got to uh, protect it. And, you know, the Lord right from the very beginning of, of creating man, 
with mankind has been interested um, in the state of his heart. It's his. We, we make assessments of people based on a lot of outward factors, but God's always been interested in man's heart, right, right from the start. And um, just in the book of Mark, if you want to go to Mark chapter 12, in verse uh, 28, as often is recorded um, in the Gospels, it's Jesus having a conversation, um, sometimes with uh, those who, uh, who didn't have a belief or a religion or a faith, and often with the main religions of the time. But in verse um, 28, it just says, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. The heart comes first. And with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, this is... Um, the first commandment. We won't read the second one. But I suppose the heart is a broad term in a way. I mean, um, I just, if you, if you look at the word, um, and look at the, um, the breakdown in, in, in the Greek, um, there's a few, there's a few meanings it gives, but I'm just going to read it. This says the center and the seat of spiritual life, the soul or mind, as it is the fountain and seat of the thoughts, the passions, the desires and appetites, affections and purposes and endeavours. So it's our whole driving force. And early on, um, God saw that there's a problem in men's hearts. It's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because as maybe as a society, we sort of think, well, people uh, work from a point of basically being good and you know, there's a bit of evil thrown in. But God actually sees it the other way, that our foundation, our core... There's something wrong because, uh, not because of anything we, we did personally, but we're, we're told that we are born into sin. We're born into a, a separation from God to, to miss the mark, to go after our own desire rather than, um, God's desire. And there's all kinds of problems that, um, have stemmed from it. I want to go back to a story in the book of Genesis, um, Genesis chapter six, um, in verse one. And it says, and it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Now, this isn't too much what I want to cover, but I'm going to talk just a little bit about this. There's been, I suppose, there's some confusion in who, what was the difference between the sons of God and the daughters of men? That they, they, they intermixed. And just quickly, um, if you know the book of Genesis in the beginning, God speaks of two creations, um, of people. Um, the first one he's referred to as Elohim, the mighty God. And that's in chapter one. And in the second, he's, if you look at the Hebrew word, he's Jehovah or the personal God. So the first creation of, of man where he, where he made them to populate the earth and just go forward, um, the sons of God, or the sons of Elohim, and the daughters of men are the second creation of Jehovah, where um, they become, yeah, the daughters, sorry, the daughters of men. So 
without going too much to detail into that um, that script that passage, um, so we've got two creations here. So this story is saying that when the sons of God or God's first creation of man saw the daughters of men or the descendants of Adam and Eve, they mixed, they intermarried. And it says in verse um, 3, which we'll keep reading, and the, and the reason, um, I will keep reading again, and it says, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be like 120 years. Uh, shall be 120 years. And there were giants in the earth in those days. And again, um, this passage um, has caused, I suppose, a bit of confusion in time where people look at that word giant and they look at the sons of God and the daughters of men and think, because uh, if you look at the word giant, it means nephil, and people might have heard of Nephilim and they think that, that somehow there was this super breed between um, God's host or maybe angels with men and some sort of uh, mix happened. But if you look at the word giant, it just means a bully or a tyrant. That in those days, people, as they mixed God's first creation and second creation, they became, they, they got together and they became bullies and tyrants. And it makes sense as we keep reading on. And it says, um, it says, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, they, um, the same became mighty men which were of old, um, men of renown. And it says, and then goes on and says in verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beasts and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. And so we know this leads into the story of Noah and the whole plan and purpose of the calling of Noah and the ark, which we have our play about. But from the start, we see there's this problem with the heart of men. And um, Jeremiah 17, I'm just going to quote it, verse 9, it talks about the heart of men is deceitful above all things, and who can know it? And it goes on and talks about the Lord searches the heart and he tries, he tries the reins even to give every man according to his ways, it speaks about, and according to the fruit of his doings, of the things that he does. And the affections, I suppose, of our heart is a thing in this, like today for each and every one of us, that as we, as we walk with God is the thing that is, um, that is being vied for by this world for our affection. You know, um, and, and the motivation that when something comes into our heart, where it will lead us and where it will want to drive us. I, um, I know I got told a story about, um, my grandfather who was never, um, never a Christian, never walked with the Lord, but I believe, um, he had, he liked to place a bet or two. And, um, he used to have a, a shoe store and, um, and I believe it was in, um, Whitmore Square in the city. He used to do shoe repairs. And one day he thought it would be a good idea while he's got his shop open to get on a, a moped. So a really old style one, like a bicycle one with a little petrol motor in it. You know, not very fast, not very powerful and ride all the way to Victor Harbour to place a bet. You got to have a serious desire in your heart to ride a moped like that to Victor Harbour to go and place a bet. Um, and, and, and so the point being 
that, um, and I think my nana found out when she went and turned up at the shop and it was sharp. <laughs> I think he got in a lot of trouble. But, um, when, when a motivation comes in, it can cause us to do things that will make us forget, you know, all other kinds of logic. And, um, you know, um, it's the same with the thing about advertisements, you know, the way advertisements work today that, um, to win our affection. Most ads now don't tell you facts and figures. And if you're going to buy a new car, it doesn't tell you that it's made of this many bolts and this amount of steel and the seats are this comfortable and it has this much power. Most cars don't do, adverts don't do that now. Instead, they sell, they sell an image. They will sell a car, you know, driving along the sunset on the beach. They will sell a car when you look back, all the kids are giving each other a hug and they're really happy. And they sell you a vision. They don't sell you the car, they sell you the lifestyle to set your affection and your heart on it. And our world tries to do that with so many things in our life. And um, I want to go and have a look in uh, in Mark chapter 7. Mark 7. I know that you all do have happy kids in the back seat, don't you, if you've got kids all the time and they're all smiling and hugging each other, never a problem. Very realistic, it is. The car will do that. So if you haven't got a new car, you should go and buy one because you'll get it straight away. Um, Mark 7, uh, verse 14. And it says, When he had called all the people uh, unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. So what he just finished doing is uh, they were talking about, I guess, the law of keeping vessels clean and how things were prepared to eat in with the Pharisees and and so on. And so he, he wanted to make a point of this because they were making a lot of deal about the way, I guess, food utensils were prepared. And so Jesus wanted to make a point. And he says in, yeah, in verse 15, There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. They, they, they didn't catch on. And he said unto them, Are you so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, uh, it cannot defile him? It's not, um, not what we eat. It's not what goes into our mouth or how things are prepared. It says, Because it entereth not into his heart. Again, this is what God is concerned with but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which come out of the man, that cometh out of the man, that defileth the man, for, for from within, out of the heart of men, perceive evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And so he's really speaking about it's what we allow um, to come in, uh, into our heart, not what goes into our mouth or not the ceremony that's, um, you know, that goes into the preparation of things. And we know also that to have a right heart, something supernatural has got to happen. We can be, we can try and be as good as we want. We can try and, uh, take in only good things in our life. But first and foremost, there needs to be a supernatural change to our heart. 
And uh, many, many people here have experienced that. We've heard a bit about it in testimony here today already. But um, Ezekiel 36, I, I, well, we can turn there just quickly. In chapter 26, because this is what it really takes. It takes God much bigger than ourselves to come in and do something supernatural in our lives. We need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Maybe we'll start in verse 24, actually. It just says, for I will take you. Did I say Ezekiel 36? Yep, verse 24. It says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. And then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols uh, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit. A new heart would be no good without a new spirit, without the spirit of God. And it says, um, I'll keep reading, new spirit within you, there we go. And I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you should keep my judgments and do them. All of a sudden, um, a power of God comes in to work with our heart, to be able to um, cause us to be able to do the things that God would have us to do. Because we know that's, um, that's sort of the story of the Old Testament, that even though um, they had a perfect law, that people just struggled to live up to it, that people struggled to do the right thing. And God said, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to give you my spirit and it's going to change your heart. And um, but this thing, how do we get something? Um, how do you get something to come forward from your heart? How do you get it to come out? Is what you put into it. How do you put something into your heart? You got to put it into your mind first. And um, you know, I guess I'm talking a bit naturally here. It's what we pay regular attention to. You know, if we, um, if we regularly pay attention to putting certain things into our mind, and again, we live, we live in a time where you can put almost anything into your mind at any time. You know, with technology, you can. And a lot of it is not good for our minds. There's a lot of things that really aren't. And, um, you know, and it's something that we all, uh, down, down at the Youngies camp recently, um, one of the brothers just did a bit of a, a workshop. And just on how people spend their time and getting, I didn't get to sit in on it, but I heard a bit about it, but just sort of weighing up and doing a bit of a tally on how we spend our time. And it can be a bit frightening. We think about what we're taking in and maybe compared to some other things we could be taking in. But as we, as we feed our mind, it'll feed our heart and it goes into our heart and then it affects our desire. It affects our drive about where we want to go, about what we'll listen to about how moldable our heart is and how we'll take instruction, how we'll, how open we'll be to, to the Lord to, to move us. And, um, I guess the opposite is how do you, how do you remove something out of your heart that you know is a problem? Well, we pray about it. That's always the best thing, but there's practical things we can do too. We, we remove something by doing the reverse. We starve, we starve our attention of it. We don't pay attention to things that are not good for us. And if we starve our mind of something that's not good for us, there's a lot less chance it's going to end up in our heart. 
I want to talk about some really good change, stories of change of heart. Um, Acts 26, a story of um, Saul, an incredible uh, calling and a change of heart for him. And um, we know the story that God had to blind, had to blind Saul to get his attention. He took away his sight. And um, in Acts 26 here, um, Festus had brought Paul to um, another king, to King Agrippa. And um, I'm not going to read the whole lot, but maybe just uh, paraphrase a few bits and pieces. But um, he brings him before Agrippa and um, he allows uh, Paul to speak for himself. And Paul says, well, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to be able to give account for my own life. And just in verse 3, um, and he says, um, this is uh, Paul's words to, to Agrippa. He says about Agrippa, he says, especially because I know that you thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. He said, what I'm being accused of, um, I know you're an expert in these laws and these customs, so I'm happy to be able to talk to you myself. And in verse 4, he says, my manner of life, and this is really about Paul's the testimony of what changed Paul. It says, my, the manner of my life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. All the Jews know my background. He says, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. That was Paul's, that was Paul's up, upbringing. That was uh, what he knew. He was a Pharisee. And, uh, like he said, the straightest sect. He, it was his life. And he goes on and he talks to him and says, and now I'm, I'm being, um, I'm being judged by the Jews about, about things that were promises that they were looking forward to themselves. The promise of a Messiah coming, of the promise unto the 12 tribes, and now I'm being judged of it. And, um, and he goes on, I'll just pick up a few things in verse 8. He says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with myself, that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he, he starts to talk about a change of heart that happened here. He said, my, my teaching was actually to drive out and oppose um, anything to do with Jesus. And he says in verse 10, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. He um. He had backing from the top. He said he, he, he put people into prison. It led to their death and he, and he was a false witness against them. And, um, it talks about in verse 11, and I punished them off in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. I forced them to, to blaspheme against the Lord and I had them driven away from their homes. If you're driven away from your home into a strange place, um, it would be a hard thing. And then he says, where, where, whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, I had the backing all the way to the top. And then um, he goes on and he speaks about how he's on that road and he hears um, the Lord speak, speak to him. He sees this bright light and... The men that he was with, they bow down on the ground and um, he hears a voice. 
And we know the story, and the Lord says to him, Lord, it's Paul, or Saul at the time, is hard for thee to kick against the pricks he talks about. And he asks, well, who are you, Lord? And um, and this is the message he gives him. Um, he says in verse 16, he says, But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of those things which you have seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. That must have been an interesting thing to hear when he struck blind himself because he would have known he wasn't talking about physical eyesight. And from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which is sanctified by faith in me, that is in me. And then he says in verse 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. You sort of think maybe Paul, when that happened, there's just no way he had a choice, that he was just, from that moment, we know that was the case, he just had a single heart for the Lord. But he says, I wasn't disobedient. He still had the choice after all of that to go, I don't, I don't know, that was one strange day, I'm going to keep going on what I'm doing. But he, but he didn't. And, you know, we get, all of us, a personal choice every day. A personal choice um, to be, I guess, obedient or disobedient to the heavenly vision God places in us by the Holy Ghost. Um, it tells us, the Holy Ghost within us, that's shown us things, even though we don't understand at all, it's shown us things that our natural eyes haven't shown us. It's allowed us to understand things that our natural ears couldn't hear, and it's not our natural heart that's picked it up. It's um, it's only the Holy Ghost, and it's um, it's the battle for our heart all the time about what we will let come in and and influence. And often we don't see it that way. We don't think the thing that we allow or we don't allow in our life. Sometimes we don't think, oh, I don't know, it's having much effect on me. But you know, it, there's so many things that become a gauge in our life. You know, um. Our desire, sometimes, you know, our desire can go up and down. Um, we can't always rely on desire. If we only ever did what we felt like doing, probably wouldn't do a lot sometimes, or maybe most days. But, um, the pattern of our life, the, um, where, you know, the Bible says where, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where we, where we run to with our heart. And God just wants it to stay with Him. And I just want to speak um, a little bit about, just a bit about Pharisees. Now, I've not done a lot of study on Pharisees, but um, just from the from the lexicon, this is just what it says about them, and a little bit from Josephus here as well. It just says, a sect that started after the Jewish exile, they sought for distinction and praise by outward observance of external rites and by outward forms of godliness, as and such as ceremonial washings, fastings, prayers and alms, uh, giving, and comparatively negligent they were of genuine godliness. They prided themselves on their fancied good works. They were in strong opposition, and you understand this, to the dominion of the Herods and the Romans because they were in their home country and they had a foreign power ruling, so you can understand them being upset with that. But it says, and they stoutly upheld their country's cause and possessed 
great influence to the everyday person. According to Josephus, there was more than um, more than 6,000 Pharisees at the time of, and again, how they pull that number, I don't know, it's just something that Josephus recorded in his writings. Um, it says, They were bitter enemies of Jesus and his cause and were in turn severely rebuked by him for their ambition, for their hollow reliance on outward works and affection of outward display of godliness in order to gain popularity. Doesn't actually sound like a good um, resume, really, does it? But um, I suppose the things that were at the core of a Pharisee's life, these these attributes, maybe not that different to an everyday person today who, you know, our world around us doesn't want to follow God. You know, if you think of some of the attributes like liking outward appearance, how much emphasis does our world put on outward appearance now? Maybe more than ever. Everything's about what it looks like about what you post, about how you can make yourself look. There's so much emphasis given to it, yet inside people can feel less and less that everything goes to the outward appearance. They cared, the Pharisees cared about their where they pl- were placed in a social status in the community. We can get caught into that. We can get caught into um, maybe thinking I've got to show that I'm doing well for myself to other people. I mean, I'm talking about naturally. Um, they prided themselves on their own good works. They didn't like outside authority over their life. Now, again, I can meet them halfway on that one when they've got a ruling power. But there's a principle there about our world around us doesn't really like any kind of authority other than themselves, over themselves. They hated Jesus. They didn't like having their thoughts and their actions corrected by him. They didn't like it. And, you know, Paul, he had a change of heart. We know it's a special calling from the Lord, but he had, I suppose when the Lord cut off his vision, when all, all natural, uh, you know, his natural vision, when all he'd seen all his life, all he'd known as a Pharisee, it, it, all of a sudden it stopped, and the Lord sent him so he could go and be filled with the Holy Ghost, so he could go and be born again. And you know there's another Pharisee um, that had a really big change of heart. There's another one, a really important one, Nicodemus. Um, John chapter 3, I'm not going to read through, um, probably should, but the, the parts that we know well from verse, uh, you know, from verse 1 sort of through to verse 8 is the part we cover very regularly on the message of being born again of water and of the Spirit, it's just so fundamental. But it just says in verse 1, it says there was a man of the Pharisees, again, this is before Saul, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And at the end of the conversation of being born again with Jesus, what was Nicodemus' response in verse 9? Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? How can this be possible? And Jesus really says to him, well, you're, you're a ruler of the Pharisees. How can you not know this? You're, you're not just someone going along. You're, you're actually teaching other people. And um, later on in John chapter 7, Nicodemus appears again. So this is a, a time when, the, when uh, the, the officers and the Pharisees are looking to sort of catch Jesus, to, uh, to bring him in. 
And um, it just says in verse 46, it says, The officers answered, oh, sorry, back in verse 45, Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? Why didn't you bring Jesus with you? And the officers answered, Never a man spake like this man. And then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Are you getting tricked by Jesus? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. In other words, the Pharisees are saying the people that don't understand the law the way we understand it, they are, they are a cursed people. They're cut off. And Nicodemus then stands up. He's not yet converted, but he stands up and saith unto them, he that, it says, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, so it's the same Nicodemus. He says, and he dares to step out here, he says, doth our Lord judge any man before it hears him? And knoweth what he what he doeth. In other words, do we judge people before they even get the chance to speak for themselves? And they shut him down really quick. It says they answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. You know, according to their law, there was no there was no Messiah, no prophet coming out of Galilee. And it says, and every man went unto his own house. So so Nicodemus is starting to have a change of heart, even though he hasn't yet been born again himself. And then there's one more account, just in John 19. Something that happens. Verse 38. This is after the uh, the crucifixion and the burial of, of, of Jesus. It says, And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secret, secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. And he came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. So he gets another mention. And brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. And then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. And it goes on and talks about now in the place of where he was actually buried at the sepulchre there. But we don't hear any more of Nicodemus. But something happened that, again, a Pharisee like Saul, but something happened to change his heart. But you know what's really interesting? What what moved what moved Nicodemus? Because Jesus didn't speak particularly, uh, you know, really nice words or anything to him. I just want to go back, just a couple of things to finish here. In Nick, um, yeah, back in Acts, um, sorry, John chapter 3. And see what Jesus did speak to him. That actually brought a change of heart in him. It wasn't um really nice sort of pleasing words. We know that he had the conversation just about being born of the of that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he goes on, um, as I said in verse nine, and he says, and Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Verse ten, and Jesus answered and said unto him. Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. But bring fairly, fairly forward with him. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It's um, the word of God will work in us if we take it in. You know, there's a real temptation, I suppose, to to have to polish things or make it sound palatable to our natural our natural intellect, our natural being. But it's the word of God that'll change us. It's the word of God that'll do that. 
You know, one of my favourite things, um, and I'm sure some of you get to experience this too, is sometimes just sitting around at the kitchen table um, with the kids and they ask, they just ask a question, anything about life. Why does, why does God think this? Why does the Bible say this? How does it relate to my life? How will that be good for me? You know, we know there's no, there's no bad questions in the Lord to want to know how to walk with the Lord. And, um, you know, the Lord has so many things that will help us in His Word that'll give us advice and give us direction and give us um, a sound understanding if we, if we apply it. Because when I think about all of the, um, the really happy, strong saints, um, that I know and, there's a lot of them. They share something in common. And um, one of them is that they're always ready to hear the Word of God. They're always ready to line up um, the way that they live against the Word of God. Um, they're looking to hear it. And if, if there's something in their life where they think, this is, um, this is shortchanging me, they're ready to, um, they're ready to change. They're ready to be led by it, um, even after many, many years. And um, it's a good, it's a good attribute, you know, ready to adjust your life because it's so easy to get set in our ways to say, I've walked with the Lord for this long or, um, you know, I've done this for so long and I don't really see, uh, it's affecting me in any way or I think I'm good, but just that moldable heart to, to let the Lord keep changing. So I want to finish just one script and um, one passage here, Psalm 51. Um, verse nine, it says, "Hide thy face uh, from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities." And um, we're going to hear about that when we take communion in a minute. That um, that's what the Lord, that's what Jesus Christ wants to do for us, and and has done with His blood. And it says, "Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me." It means um. A right spirit means a steadfast spirit, one that is um, consistent and one that can just uh, be stable with God. Cast me not away from my presence and take not the Holy Spirit from me. And then it talks about restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Sometimes we need the joy of just having salvation with the Lord restored in our life. Because um, you can, you can get caught in the motions of you know coming to the meetings and you've done that part of your life and we go away and we work and we and we whatever and we can we're human we can get caught in the in the motions. But there's an inc- oh, I think I'm preaching to the converted. But there's an incredible joy in salvation in knowing our future and what's ahead. When we look at what's going around in the world now and our future, there's an incredible joy. And sometimes we need it. Restored, Lord, just just help me to be a happy happy giver in in you. And then it goes on and says, um, "Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted unto thee." When we're happy with the salvation of God, um, we want to share it with other people. And um, if you're visiting here, it's um, it will be because someone's been really happy just to share with you what's what's happened to them. And, um, and we've got new faces in the hall. We've got people here still after years and after decades because we're still happy. And, um, and, you know, may, may the Lord may grow that in our life 
that it, that it's a joy that not um you know that we just look at it as an incredible privilege that we just look at it as um there's there's still a lot of you know we haven't seen it all yet there's a lot of other happy things to experience there's a lot of amazing things yet to come and um you know we all play a part in that as we just uh rally together and as we just um keep looking to the lord i'll leave it there